Uh, friends, our, our word for the morning is supernatural. Supernatural. My dictionary tells me that supernatural means to be attributed to some force beyond scientific explanation or the laws of nature. To be unnaturally, to be extraordinarily great. Supernatural. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the word supernatural, I tend to think of ghosts, uh, haunted houses, scary type paranormal activity. This morning, though, I want you to forget all those sorts of things and instead actually think of yourself. Think of morning church. Because you are a supernatural you, according to the last verse of our reading this morning. Chapter, uh, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that as God's reborn child, things are going on inside you that are beyond scientific explanation. As one of God's reborn children, things are going on inside you that are extraordinarily great. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, this verse comes at the end of a paragraph that we've been slowly walking through over the past couple of weeks as we've thought about the topic of loving one another. We started out in verses 7 and 8, and we discovered that love is a fundamental aspect of God's nature. Love is to God as light is to the sun. It's not only an equal part of who he is, it's also what he radiates out. And therefore, as God's reborn children, it's impossible to imagine that we would not also be loving. Last week, we built on that by considering that the love which radiates from God to us is a love that is most clearly seen in the sending of his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional purposeful love, and that's the standard of love that you and I are called on to have for each other. And now, friends, this week in the final verse of the paragraph, John wraps it all up by pointing out that when we actually do love like that, when we are selfless and sacrificial and unconditional and purposeful in our dealings with each other here, a love like that is in fact a supernatural phenomenon. Let me read the verse again and listen to the two supernatural things going on in you. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Gee, the two, the first one is that God lives in us. God lives in us. If you were to visit Los Angeles, there's about 100 tours that you could go on that will take you past where different celebrities live. A quick bit of research on the internet showed me that for $34, LA City Tours will drive you past Julia Roberts' home, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's home, Britney Spears' home, Jackie Chan, two hours worth of driving past celebrity homes. Friends, if you're here and you are a reborn child of God, they ought to run tours past your place. Because forget Jackie Chan, God lives at your place. 
For John is saying that as one of God's children, God lives in you. That is a staggering thought. If we sneak a peek into the first sentence of the next paragraph, we'll see that John expands on it a little bit. Verse 13, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now those two verses together, 12 and 13, they're alerting us to the astonishing fact that at its heart, being a Christian is actually a supernatural experience. At its heart, being a Christian involves a spiritual rebirth where you're not just a changed person, you're a different person. Where God himself becomes part of who you are and God gives you of his spirit. God himself, in a very real and powerful way, lives in you. That is a massive thought. The God who can do infinitely more than you can begin to imagine lives in you. They say that the closest star to Earth, apart from the sun, the closest star to Earth is about 41 trillion kilometres away. That means that if you were to reduce the size of the entire Earth to the size of a pea, okay, the entire Earth to the size of a pea, On that scale, the nearest star would still be from here to Paris, away. And the God who created this earth and that star, and who put them in their place simply by speaking a word, he lives in you. They say that to build the most basic of yeast cells, Yeast is a very simple form of fungi. To build the most basic of yeast cells, you would have to miniaturise the same number of components that are approximately in a jumbo jet, but minimalise them so that they fit into a sphere 200 times smaller than one of the full stops on your bulletin. And that's just a yeast cell. That is nothing compared to the complexity of the trillions of cells all working away in your body at this very moment. And the God who created every one of them and who sustains every one of them every second of the day, he is in you. He has given you of his spirit. Now I'm laboring the point, I know, but it's because I want to encourage you and excite you to what is actually going on in us as Christians. I especially want to encourage and excite us about what is going on in us when we love one another. Because did you notice the wording of the first bit of the verse? No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. Now that phrase, if we love one another, please don't read that and think, that it's saying that God's spirit sort of pops in and out of us depending on how we're going at loving one another. You're having a bad day, you're having a selfish day, so God moves out. You're having a nice day where you are loving others, God moves back in. (coughs) That's not what's getting at at all. Other bits of the Bible make it clear that that's not the case. Rather, what the point that John is making here is that we especially see God living in us when we love one another. 
That's why the verse starts the way it does. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another. See, the implication is that no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, people will see God. They'll see him in us. Remember the context of the letter I mentioned a couple of weeks back? This letter was written at a time when there was a very dangerous, false version of Christianity that was floating around the churches. John wrote this letter to explain what genuine Christianity is all about. And the point that he's making here is that love is one of the best signs you can get of a genuine Christian. Simply saying that you're a Christian, that doesn't show God loves in you. Owning a Bible, carrying a Bible to a church meeting, even reading a Bible, even being able to quote Bible verses to other people, that doesn't show God lives in you. Being in a growing church with lots of young people, that doesn't show God lives in us. But if we love one another, God lives in us. See, that's, that's the tone of this verse. And it's the verse that goes on, because if we love one another, points out there's actually a second supernatural phenomenon going on as well. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Please notice the end of that verse. It's quite specific. It's God's love that's being made complete. It's not our love being made complete in us. In other words, it's a verse that seems to be indicating that when we, as God's reborn children, when we love each other, we are actually doing something more than merely imitating God. We are actually channeling his, his actual love. We have his nature. His spirit is in us, and it is his love in us that's involved in loving others here. Indeed, it's not merely channeling through us. It says that God's love is being made complete in us. That's an intriguing... How does that work? In what way can God's love be made complete? Surely it's already complete. Now, John uses this phrase a couple of other times within 1 John, but I actually think that uh, one of the best parts of the Bible that help us understand what he's getting at here is actually a verse over in the book of James, which says a very similar thing... Not so much about love, but about faith. Here it is on the screen. It comes from James 2. James is talking about the faith of Abraham. And he says, You see that his, that is, you see that Abraham's faith and Abraham's actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Now notice in that verse, it's exactly the same phrase that's used. It's Abraham's faith and it's, used, it's described as being made complete. It's exactly the same phrase used here in our verse about love in 1 John. And how was Abraham's faith made complete? It was by what he did. In other words, Abraham's faith was made complete by doing things, by being active. I think that's the point John is making in, the, in our verse this morning about love. That God's love in us is completed in us when it brings forth action. <coughs> God's love in us is made complete in us when we actually do things. Which isn't an altogether new thought in the letter of 1 John. Back in 1 John 3, here's another verse on the screen from 1 John 3. John writes, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brothers in need and has no pity on him, 
How can the love of God be in him? There's a phrase again about God being in him. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let's not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Again, it's the idea of God's love being in us, being in a person, and again it's tied with the idea of it of God's love being in us when we do things. When we love not just with words, but with actions. I think that's what John's getting at in chapter 4, verse 12, when he describes God's love being made complete in us. It's the idea of God's love reaching completion in the sense that it reaches its final goal in us. It's reaching its end, its end target of us loving one another. Which raises the question of, do you think God's love is being made complete in you? In other words, are you actually doing love or are you just thinking about it? See, it's not enough to just be sitting out there thinking at the moment and nodding your head in agreement that loving one another is important. That's not enough. We've got to get out of our chairs, we've got to roll up our sleeves and actually do things. Because I don't know about you, but I have a very fickle heart and I, I have a very good trick where I trick myself into believing that thinking something is the same as actually doing it. Now, so I think telling people about Jesus is important and that that's somehow the same as doing it. I think telling people about Jesus is important and therefore that sort of excuses me from actually telling people about Jesus. Friends, that sort of thinking is way off the mark as far as God sees things. Merely thinking that something is important is never enough. Please do not walk away from this little series on loving one another merely thinking that loving one another is a really important thing to do. God's love is not made complete in us until we actually do stuff. But when we do do stuff, are you hearing what today's verse is saying? Are you, are you hearing the amazing stuff that is going on in us when we do Love one another. If we want love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. And maybe it's at this point I need to draw attention to that word, us. Because I started out by talking about a supernatural you, but it's really a supernatural us that is the key thing on view in this verse. Verse 12 has a very group feel to it. It's a verse directed to a church family. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. God's love is made complete in us. To put it another way, when we at morning church love one another, not just with words, not just thinking it, when morning church actually loves one another selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally, purposefully. When Morning Church does things in love for one another, something supernatural is happening. It shows that God is in Morning Church. His love is being made complete in Morning Church. Can you feel the responsibility of that? Can you feel the joy of it? I mean, the responsibility comes in seeing the integral part that this church has 
in revealing the love of God to the world. No one has ever seen God. That's how our verse started. And it is almost an exact repetition of a phrase that John uses in his gospel, where at the beginning of John's gospel, he says that no one has ever seen God. But then he goes on to explain how Jesus' incarnation has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus' incarnation has made the invisible God visible. But now here in 1 John, it's love between Christians that makes the invisible God visible. And that in itself should be more than enough for us to see how important it is that we love one another. Because Jesus' physical presence is no longer in this world. But if people do want to see Jesus, if they want to see God, they should be able to meet him here in morning church. They should be able to encounter his love in the love we have for one another because this church is intended to be God's audio-visual to the world. And in a postmodern, cynical world that is crying out for love and yet looking for it in all the wrong places, people should be able to look at us and see the way we love one another and see God's love in us. And for us to be content with anything less than that is a denial of who we are in Christ. We have a responsibility to be who we are. We have a responsibility to love one another because that is the closest lots of people will ever get to seeing God. It is our responsibility. But it's also a joy. Indeed, throughout this whole series, especially today, I'm hoping you're seeing that we are in fact at our most godlike when we love one another. That when we get it right about loving one another, and I know we don't always get it right. I know that sometimes people are not cared for. And I know people fall through the cracks sometimes. And I'm sorry if that's been you. But when we do get it right, when we're patient with someone who annoys us, when we're kind to an awkward person trying to get help, when we're not envious about someone else in the church getting more attention than we do, when we don't boast about our gifts, when we keep no record of wrongs, when we protect the vulnerable, when you walk away from morning tea having had a conversation with someone who has actually listened to you, and you've had the feeling that they've been treating you as if you're the only person in the room. When an unexpected person gives you an unexpected kindness. When your Christian life is hard and dry and you are tired. And someone encourages you in just the right way at just the right time. That is God loving you in us. See, what is it that will make morning church most like heaven? You know, here this morning as we get together, when are we closest at experiencing what heaven is like? When is it that we reach the point where you can say, oh, this is great, this is, heaven's going to be like this. When can we say that? 
Is it when the music is really spot on in the morning and the singing's really strong and you've got goosebumps up and down your spine and you just get that real bar? Is that, is that what it is? When is morning church closest to heaven? It's when we love one another. Because when we love one another, supernatural things happen here. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in morning church. I'll pray. Father, thank you for your supernatural love of us. A love that defies scientific explanation and description. But a love that changes us, shapes us, gives us rebirth, changes who we are, and in fact reveals you to the world. Father, help us to love one another so well that people will come to morning church and see you in us. Your love being made complete in us. Amen.